Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to The District, a podcast about politics and culture from the spectator world. I'm your host, Teresa Mall, and I'm joined today by Keith Kroc. He is the former Undersecretary of State for Growth, Energy, and the Environment, known as America's Energy Diplomat. And he's currently Purdue University's Kroc Institute for Tech Diplomacy. He is the advisory board chairman there. So Keith, welcome to the show. Teresa, thanks so much for having me. Very accomplished man. You are an expert on all things energy. And so today we're going to be talking about Chinese threats to the United States' solar ambitions. Obviously, we hear a lot about green energy, climate change, trying to reduce our use of fossil fuels. But Keith, China is standing in our way because they, we rely on them for all the stuff that we make our solar panels out of, or we have until recently, until they're kind of uh, cutting off our supply chain. So tell us what's going on there. I understand you have a success in your career of reshoring our domestic supply chain for semiconductors. So uh, what's going on in the solar industry with China? Well, Teresa, the good news is this, is that solar energy, as industry experts say, is going to make up probably 60% of the world's energy by 2050. And that's going to go a long way in terms of things like climate change. Now, the bad news is, is that China owns that business. They dominate. They manufacture 90% of the solar panels in the world. And where they manufacture it is in the western region of Xinjiang. And this is where they have the two biggest unregulated coal-powered plants in the world. And they also use the Uyghur slave labor. And the Uyghurs are a minority in China. And this is the group that China has committed all types of human rights abuses. And as the United States, a lot of other nations, we've declared it as punishable genocide. So that's the that's the bad news the other you know the other bad news is that energy security is national security so if you think about it wars are begun and they're lost because of energy so the danger is that from a national security standpoint is that the united nations the united states be dependent on china for their for our energy and that's a dangerous situation so now what China has done is they've, they're flooding the market in terms of low-cost solar panels. On one hand, that's good because it makes it cheaper to build and the raw materials that go into that. And, and, and we invented that industry. And now what they're doing is it looks like they're going to put export controls on the machinery that make the, the ingots that go into the polysilicon that goes into solar panels. 
and you know, an important fact to know is that making a solar panel is incredibly energy intensive. So the amount of energy that a solar panel puts out over a three-year time period is the same amount of energy that goes into manufacturing it. And that's why they use those cheap, unregulated coal fire-powered plants. And most consumers don't know this. So what's the next step? Is the United States in a position that we can say, okay, China, we don't need you. We're going to do our own. Or are we many years out from that? I, I noticed you said 2050, we would, we're on track or at least hoping to be on track to have 60% of our energy come from solar. But I've also heard 2030, which I think many people have realized is unrealistic. But um, so what do we do now that China is behaving this way? And as you said, I think, you know, it's it's pretty obvious that we don't want to be reliant on another country, especially one that has a history of some pretty unreliable, we'll say, leadership, <laughs> such as China, Russia, places like that. You rely on these governments and then, you know, we, they don't always get along, to put it nicely. So so what do we do? What's next? Let's look at a couple of the things that we've done so far. So one of the things when I was under Secretary of State that we did is we architected a bipartisan bill, the $280 billion Chips and Science Act. And that's for the purpose of onshoring semiconductors. And by the way, the material that goes into semiconductors is polysilicon. It's the same material that goes into solar panels. And solar panels make up about 90% need for that. And, and semiconductors make 10%. And we did that when we onshored TSMC, which is Taiwan Semiconductor, which is the most important foreign company to United States national security. They make the most advanced chips. So we did the $12 billion onshoring of TSMC. It was largest in history. And we used that as the catalyst to design the chips part of that act, which is about $60 billion to help onshore U.S. semiconductors. Because at that point, uh, in 2020, there were zero plans to build plants in the United States. This is another industry the United States invented, and only 12% of semiconductor manufacturing was done in the U.S. and zero plants. Since we did that onshoring, $300 billion in commitment and investment of semiconductor companies to build in the U.S. and the jobs that go along have been made. It's one of the greatest success stories ever. When you look at Intel, Samsung, TSMC up their investment to $40 billion, Intel up to $100 billion, Micron, 40 billion, TI, 30 billion, Samsung, 17 billion. So uh, this is, and and the other part of the $200 billion of that bill go for federal research funding. We presented this to Senator Young from Indiana and Senator Schumer back in 2019. And this is federal research funding in national security sectors. And solar is a big part of that. And one of the things we said was that we'd get a threefold match from our closest technological allies in the U.S. private sector. So so that's a big thing that we can take advantage of in terms of, of the solar business. You know, the other thing, the other model to use in terms of China's solar industry, and I think the thing to understand is what China did is they, they basically came over, it started about 20 years ago installed a lot of the intellectual property behind this. They flooded the market. They flooded our market. They shut off their market. 
They got these big economies of scale. They became the dominant player in the business. You know, companies weren't in the U.S. weren't able to meet their bottom line. They bought them up. It's their classic systematic strategy. And now they're using slave labor. It's about $300 a month. It's tough to compete with that. So, you know, they try to do the same thing in 5G communications. We created the Clean Network Alliance of Democracies that defeated China's master plan to control 5G. And we got about 60 countries representing two-thirds of the world's global GDP and 200 telcos to defeat that plan. So one of the key things is we've got to have a strategy. And, you know, one of the things that I've been asked to do is to co-chair the Global Tech Security Commission, which is the stated goal is to create the global tech security strategy for the free worlds. And solar is a big part of that. It's uh, back. We have uh, honorary co-chairs, five Democrats, five Republicans in Congress, backed by the White House. And we have a whole set of international commissioners. So this is one of the issues that we're going to be very, very much focused on. Well, that's good to hear. That was my next question is if this is a priority in the legislature and if there's bipartisan support, which it seems like there would be, obviously, everybody should be interested in national security and also green energy is such a priority. Something we hear a lot about, not necessarily making the connection between how important that is to our national security. But is this something that that is being pushed with urgency? Because it seems like it should be. Um, <laughs> maybe not as much urgency as you or, or I would like, but um, are you hopeful that something will be done to uh, to make the United States more energy independent soon? Yeah, I think people now have woken up. I mean, we've been out there at the Kroc Institute for Tech Diplomacy. And when I was an undersecretary, banging the drum on this really hard, you know, because in a solar business, the inconvenient truth of the inconvenient truth is that these solar panels are made, you know, with dirty coal fired power plants and people are putting them up and it continues. Uh, China continues to be the largest polluter in the world. And at the same time, they're building coal fired power plants in third world nations like, like it's going out of style. And then they're flooding our market so that we became, become dependent on it, which we have. So, yeah, this is now a big priority in Congress. It's a big priority for the Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimondo. We've talked uh, about that in a fireside chat that I did with her related to the commission a few months ago. So, yeah, this is a big one. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about solar energy more generally. As I told you before we started recording the podcast, I think most everybody would be, you know, totally pro solar energy. It sounds great. You have the sun there. It's clean. It's powerful. It's amazing if we could just harness that energy for pretty cheap. But as you explained, it sounds like you need dirty energy to get clean energy. So is there a path to overcoming that? Obviously, the United States would not have the human rights violations that China would, but is there a way to overcome having to burn, quote unquote, dirty energy, such as coal or other energy sources that we have now to make these solar panels? I also wonder that about wind turbines. You think of those huge steel beams, how big those are, and you need concrete at the base, and you need all of these materials that are made through burning coal. So how do we make green energy without using non-green energy? Or how do we get to that point, I guess? 
you American companies now are beginning to invest pretty pretty hard in terms of solar panel production. I mean, the the ideal way to to do it is to make solar energy with solar energy, right? And and that's why we've got to we've got to get it from places other than China because they're they're using these dirty unregulated coal-fired power plants plus they can cut it off at any time. So that's the that's the ideal way to do it. You know, but it all requires a transition. But in the meantime, we've got to we've got to develop our own capabilities and we've got to use some of that chips and science money to be able to do that because the Chi- the Chinese are really far ahead. It's really a dangerous position for us. And now with their their export controls on their machinery that makes these silicon ingots, and they're the only ones that make uh, the big ingots, which are the most efficient ones, it really creates a problem. And so it's a real wake-up call. And, you know, the, these, these export controls are exhibit A on the need to rapidly scale American solar manufacturing. How much uh, technology advancement have you seen in the past several years you know, I think one of the major concerns with solar energy and wind en- energy is that the weather and climate are not always cooperative. You know, it's only sunny part of the time. It's not always intensely sunny. There's only so many places right now that solar energy makes a lot of sense as far as I understand it when you take into things like atmospheric haze, the intensity of the sun, the same thing with the wind. You know, it's not it's not always windy enough to generate wind energy. Then I think about places like very densely populated cities where there might not be the roof lines that you need to to capture the solar energy. So you'd have to build solar panels outside of the city and then transmit the energy into the city where people need it. So also, as far as I understand, you can't really store solar energy. Um, You have to use it whenever it's available. So these are these are some difficulties that we're facing right now, but I'm wondering how far we've come recently with technology and science to overcome some of these things. And if you feel that in the very near future or by 2050, that we will be reaching that goal. Well, I think I really do believe that that by 2050, 60, 70% of the world's energy will come from solar. And there will and a lot, we've come a long way in terms of storage capabilities of energy. By the way, that's another big issue with regard to China is they dominate the electric battery business too. So that that's a big one. And solar panels have now become a lot more efficient as well. You know, in places where it's a cloudy day or there's, you know, no sun, obviously that's not going to work. But, you know, in places that you can, I mean, it should really provide the vast amount. So everything makes a contribution. And I think one of the key things is in terms of energy security, this was always uh, my goal as Undersecretary of State, is to make sure that we have a diversified strategy. So a diversified source of energy, diversified type of energy, and diversified you know, way to produce it and to, dis- and to distribute it. One of the other key things that is helping us out is is energy efficiency a lot of things that we that we can do you know purdue uh, just developed a type of white paint that reflects 100 percent of the sunlight so if you think about that that can save a lot in terms of use of energy you know and particularly in the south in the winter time those kind of things so or i mean in the summertime so 
you know, it's kind of an all out effort, but we're not going to be getting off of oil anytime, anytime soon. And we've got to make that transition. You know, the other big thing that's out there on the horizon is nuclear fusion. Now that would be the panacea because the only thing you need for that is H2O. And there's been some breakthroughs lately, you know, that might be, you know, that might be 50 years away. I don't know. You know, the estimates are anywhere between 20 and 50 years away. But also now there's also nuclear power, nuclear power in in these mini plants. And that's another source of energy. I'm glad that you brought up the diversification of energy. I think too often both sides of the aisle can kind of get focused on one element of the debate. You know, they one side might say we need green energy. We can't mine anything ever. And they're disregarding the fact that you have to get rare earth elements to make uh, green energy. You have to mine lithium for batteries. You still have to disturb the earth in some form to get energy. And then the other side, you know, will say, you're going to get rid of coal. You're going to get rid of natural gas. You're going to ruin our lives. We're not going to have oil anymore, which I think these are just broad strokes that both sides can get caught up in arguing. But as you said, you know, kind of an all hands-on effort to diversify, to do things in the most obviously environmentally sound and forward-thinking way to harness all of the beautiful resources that we have here in the U.S., but do it in a wise, thought-out way that benefits everyone is really key. And I'm glad we have smart people like you <laughs> kind of helping our government see the way to do that because it's not it's not going to be all one or the other or by 2030, you know, we have this deadline and all, all of a sudden, you know, you flip a switch and we're green, so. Yeah, you know, one of the questions I got asked my Senate confirmation committee hearing is, you know, how how would I focus on this issue? And I said, look, I would look at it as an optimization equation. You maximize national security by optimizing economic growth, energy security, and the health of the planet. So you've got to tweak all those different dials. And it's really an optimization. And, you know, there's been a lot of time and a lot of resources spent trying to make arguments on one side or the other. We should take that time and all that energy and put it into developed technology because technology is really the answer for the world's energy for this next century. And it's really critical that we focus on it. I mean, it affects everything, national security, economic growth, and obviously the health of our planet. Right. I think it's easy to get caught up in things, you know, like We'd have to cover the entire United States with solar panels to get enough energy or, um, you know, a coal burning plant puts out this much carbon and it's completely evil. I don't think the answer is one or the other. As you said, it's it's kind of combining both of them and working our way toward a combination of all those things to to have the best benefit. Optimization. I like that. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> it's really important to have a strategy. And so. And, and and by the way, a global one, too. That's why the Global Tech Security Commission is so focused in this area, because this is an all of society effort. We need the public sector. We need the private sector. We need to be working as one. We need our allies on this. And, you know, and we need to f- defend ourselves against authoritarianism because that, it, you know, that is now the epic struggle is freedom versus authoritarianism. And General Tech, General Secretary Xi 
has been elected dictator for life. He has unlimited ambitions and he has unconstrained power. And he's not showing any kind of sign of slowing down soon. So this is the biggest unifying issue on Capitol Hill. Who are some of our allies? Uh, You mentioned Taiwan, but some other free countries that we're working together. And is it more of on, I'm sure it's both, but more on a technological side, developing these technologies together to help one another? Or is it, you know, we're getting rare earth elements from some of them or lithium, things like that. It's who are some of our friends and partners in this solar goal? Probably one of the, the closest partners that's clearly always been ahead of the game in terms of identifying the issue with China is Japan. I'd put Australia right there. Also now India, because these export uh, controls on this machinery is going to affect probably India more than, more than anywhere else. And, and that's why we formed the quad that the Biden administration has carried on. That's those four countries. They're really key. And the Europeans, too. Germany also used to be a big player in the solar business. Chinese took that away as well. And so when you look at the European countries, you look at the UK, you you look at the Netherlands now that put export controls and joined us in terms of semiconductor manufacturing for the Chinese that's going into military applications. These are great allies. The most important one that's on the fence is Germany. And, you know, we were successful in having Deutsche Telekom you know, go to trusted uh, 5G partners. And I think now they're beginning to wake up. I was just on the, I just did a a session with 30 German CEOs of big global companies, and they're really starting to wake up to this fact. And, you know, one of the things that I, I penned an article in Fortune magazine a few months ago that was titled, present your China contingency plan at the next board meeting. So now some of the most prominent board members in America are demanding from their CEOs a China contingency plan because they see General Secretary Xi cracking down on the private sector. They, they've seen their rational behavior on some of these lockdowns. They've seen their, the real estate market falling apart and also the real probability of an attack on Taiwan. And these are companies that have pulled out, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars when Putin, you know, bloody unprovoked invasion on Ukraine, and they don't want to be caught off guard again. And, and China would be 10 to 20x what the Russians would be. So, you know, when the dreaded becomes inevitable, it's time to develop a plan and execute on it. What is standing in the way, if anything, would you say that the United States is working as fast as we can and in a pretty uninhibited supported way to to meet our 2050 goal of green energy and to prioritize solar? Is there something standing in the way that might be inhibiting our technology from developing other than our dependency on China, which we've obviously just discussed <laughs> how to overcome that? What else should we be doing differently to make sure that we're on track to to dominate in this technological sector? Yeah. I mean, you know, I've, I've spent the vast majority of my career as the Silicon Valley CEO, right? I ran DocuSign Ariba for many years. It's never fast enough for me. Speed's the ultimate currency and, and things in the government don't go all that fast. So I think that's one of the things we need to do is we really need to pick up the pace because it's really urgent. 
and combating China's technological authoritarianism. Speed is the ultimate weapon. That's that's what we used in terms of the Clean Network Alliance of Democracies to defeat China's master plan to control 5G. So things have got to move fast, but things are going in the right direction. And and we need the private sector to step up and, and really invest. Thank you for listening to this episode of The District. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe to our channel. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. To read more content on similar topics, visit thespectator.com.